Hi, welcome to The Pink Chair. My name is Annie Lobert, and today I am the guest. Some of you have been watching our show and you might not understand why we're even here. Pink Chair is a show about real, raw, relevant issues, bringing solutions to the table from a woman's perspective. The entire reason why I started this show, I was asked by two wonderful people named Scott and Carol. And they wanted me to interview people. And there's a reason behind this, because I myself have an incredible type of story that needs to be interviewed. This is a groundbreaking show, first of all, because it's never been done. I have never seen someone like me come on a TV station and talk about what's happened to them. Someone that's been sex trafficked in America, someone that's been sex trafficked in our own backyards, in a city that everybody loves to visit that's so glamorous called Las Vegas. Yes, that's where my story happened, but that's not where it started. I'm actually from Minnesota, a Midwestern girl. They call us people in Minnesota, Minnesota nice. And if you can tell by my accent, I have my office sometimes ask me, hey, can you say posted again? Because we often go to the post office. So right there you can hear my accent. I was born in Minneapolis, General Hospital, and lived in, oh gosh, maybe nine or 10 different places before I grew up actually. Went to seven different schools growing up. My father, there's always a story behind a daughter losing her way. My daddy was an alcoholic. But my dad, when I was very young, got help. My mom warned him, if you don't get help, I'm going to leave you and take all the kids. I had two brothers and a sister. Grew up in this very aggressive, abusive home. My dad was yelling all the time. He would hit our mother in front of us kids. He would hit my brothers in front of me. He would hit me, but more or less, my brother got more abuse than I did. But I witnessed domestic violence going on in our home all the time. Mental abuse, gaslighting. This was my norm. And when I used to see my girlfriends, next door neighbors, friends in school, I noticed their parents were really nice to them. And I watched TV a lot growing up. I'm a TV person. We watch Leave it to Beaver, The Partridge Family, The Brady Bunch, <laughs> All in the Family, shows like that. And I noticed on those shows, especially the ones that were family oriented, that the parents were very kind to their children. And I never had that growing up. So as a little girl, I was craving attention. My father and I did not have a good relationship. And I think back now and I realize that when I look back at my father's life and I find out the geome of his life, his family history, it wasn't that great. My dad's father was abusive towards him. He was home only half of his life. He drank, they were from Chicago. And my dad never really had a good childhood. So of course, what happens is parents, we pass it down to our children. We pass down abuse, we pass down the feeling of not being loved, the, the uncomfortable feeling of hugging your child when you've never been hugged yourself. My dad wasn't friendly or huggable with us children, and so I searched for love in all the wrong places. That's what happens to a lot of trafficking victims, especially women. We have daddy issues. I was abused when I was eight and nine years old, sexually abused by some next door neighbors. 
and it really changed me from the core being of who I was as a person because I thought that the abuse was my fault. I thought that I brought the abuse on myself, that maybe I was too cute or too pretty or something, and maybe this person you know, wanted to abuse me because of that, and that it was my fault, and that's what happens with a lot of abuse victims. Some of you can relate out there. Some of you women and some of you young men that have been abused or anyone that's been abused out there sexually, it brings a deep, dark, devastating shame to your heart that is so difficult to recover from. So I went into high school just not realizing it, but I was looking at the boys. They were looking at me, and I started dating different guys and gave away myself at a younger age, a teenage age, and got date raped at parties, at the football parties, at the basketball parties. And I had this really difficult experience that happened to me in high school. I had my heart. I wore it on my sleeve. My mom used to say, you wear your heart on your sleeve. Yes, I wear my heart on my sleeve. And I gave this one boy my heart completely. And he took my heart in his hand and he broke it. He was seeing three other friends of mine behind my back. When I found out about it, we broke up. I came home, I'll never forget that day. I was in his car and he had smoked cigarettes. So I took one of his cigarettes, took the whole pack, walked out of the car, got dropped off. And I went out into the backyard. We were living in the country in Wisconsin at the time. And I smoked a couple cigarettes and I was crying. And I came into the house and my mom was like, what's wrong? And I said, mommy, mommy, I loved him. I loved him and he cheated on me. Why? I was faithful to him. I gave him everything. And you know, the entire time, you guys, prior to this, we were going to church. I was raised a Lutheran. I did not have the best experience at church because I always felt I was being judged. I always heard about the Father's love and I didn't understand that because my own father, I felt like he didn't love me. So it was really hard for me to understand who God was, but I did know this. When I was five years old, I was in Sunday school class and they said, does anyone want to accept Jesus into their heart? Because he will forgive your sins and you'll go to heaven. And I was like, I want that, I want that. So I gave my heart to Jesus when I was five years old with a cupcake, <laughs> some candy, whatever. But I never forgot the feeling that I got. Not that it's a feeling, but I knew that Jesus was my friend. I knew somehow if I ever got in trouble, I could pray to Jesus. So I left high school, very embittered, teenager wanted to get some jobs, wanted to get a bunch of jobs because I wanted my own car, I wanted my own place, I wanted to go to college, did not have the money. What happens to a young girl going into the city of Minneapolis when there's no college money, when the parents don't have the college money? When you go to a school in Wisconsin that only has 48 in her graduating class, there's only two scholarships being given out. No internet at the time. We did not have internet. And so what did I decide to do? I was going to make my own way. And you guys, you know what? The devil is a pimp. Do not be his prostitute because guess what? He came after me with a vengeance. He came after me and with his conniving and just coercive ways solicited me for the sex industry. When I come back, I'm going to tell you what happened the first time I met my first trafficker and how he got me to be in the web sex trafficking.
As you know, testimonies are really powerful. And out of my own story, I had to do something. Something was birthed inside of me after overdosing, after leaving both of my traffickers and finally getting free, completely free from sex trafficking. I could not leave my friends out on the Las Vegas Strip, addicted, trapped, abused, beaten, trafficked by their traffickers. So God gave me this awesome idea. I had a dream of Jesus, of all things. And he told me to go back down on the Las Vegas Strip and pull those ladies out of sex slavery. And at first, there was no name for the ministry. It was just like I had my card. It said, Annie, call this number. If you need help, resources, anything you need. But then I was driving to the Strip one day, and God gave me the same, hookers for Jesus. Yeah, I said it. Hookers for Jesus, based on Matthew 4:19. I will teach you how to fish for people. And a hooker is a boat. And a hooker is a fish hook. We're no longer hookers. It's a righteous reason to fish for people that are drowning. Our website is hookersforjesus.net if you want more information. We do outreach on the Strip. We have different programs. We go into the Las Vegas jails every week with Ladies of Destiny class. And then also we have the Destiny House program, a place where ladies can dream, discover, develop into the perfect destiny God originally planned for them. We love volunteers, you guys. If you want to donate, we always need your help. We need new partners. We are not funded by a lot of people. We need your help. Hookersforjesus.net. Thank you. Hi, welcome back to Pink Chair. I am Annie LeBaire and this is my story. As I was speaking earlier, I had moved to Minneapolis to get three jobs because I really, in my heart desire, wanted to go to college. I wanted to go to music college and art college. I wanted to get a degree in art, some type of music career. I wasn't sure exactly, but it was something that was inside of me. I'm an artist, I like to draw, I like to paint, I like writing poetry, I like singing, so it was an easy fit for me. I got a job at Investors Diversified Services, which is IDS, which is actually American Express head office in Minneapolis. I got my job within the first week, and I was living with my sister, had a fake ID, I was 18 years old, yes, drinking age was not 18, it was at that time it had just turned 21. So yeah, I had a fake identification because guess what? I was a party girl and I wanted to go to the bars with my friends. I got another job at night at Ichiban's Steakhouse, which is a Japanese restaurant, and then I got another job on the weekends at Deluno's Pizza. I thought I could save my money, get my own apartment, finally buy my car, which I did buy my first car. And I started working these jobs and can you say burnout? Can you breathe burnout? Because that's what I did. I got so overworked and stressed out. I met this girl that actually was best friends with one of my best friends from grade school that I never lost connection with. And she said, hey, I got this friend and you know, she, she'll go out to the clubs with you and we can all go out together and we can go to the U of M and we can party. And so on the weekends we would go out to the clubs and sometimes even during the week on ladies night we would go out and one night we were out my girlfriend and I, we were at this place called Marshall's. And right now in Minneapolis, that's actually a strip club called Choices. And back then, the owner would let people in and 
we would walk in that bar and they would serve us drinks and we were underage. And we were dancing one night, drinking Long Island iced teas. And I look to the door and these men walk in with fur coats on, fur coats, beautiful. By the way, they were real. And this is such a cliche, but they didn't look like pimps. They didn't look like traffickers. And they had on glasses, like sunglasses at night. It's like 11, 30, 12 o'clock at night, sunglasses, Gucci, Armani sunglasses, okay? And they walked up to the bar, snakeskin shoes, one had on crocodile shoes. They looked like dressed to the nines, suits, dress sharp, Rolex watch. And they started buying us drinks and saying, hey, what's your name? What are you doing here? And we were like, yeah, we're just kicking back, having drinks and casual conversation. What do you guys do for a living? I was so curious. Like I leaned in like, what do you guys do? Because I see the furs. We were trying on their furs. We were taking pictures. We we're like, oh, look at my, look at my new mink. Look at my new uh, fox fur. Woo, you know, we were so excited. Glasses, all that. Snap the picture and... I had no idea, neither did my girlfriend. These men were pimps. These men were traffickers. They said, oh, we own a car lot. We own a bunch of land. We're businessmen. And I totally fell for it. We leave the club. My girlfriend's kind of enamored with one of the guys. He keeps calling her. They exchange numbers. The other guy I really didn't pay attention to. I was not attracted to him. I was all about looks back in the day. Very superficial. My girlfriend ends up meeting up with this man and they actually go to Hawaii together. She calls me up from Hawaii and she goes, hey, you got to come out here. I mean, and by the way, he gave me a ring and it's a huge diamond. And you guys back then, diamonds for me was a girl's best friend. I mean, if anyone's ever seen the movie with Marilyn Monroe, that was like my role. Like, I'm going to be like her her pink outfit, her diamonds, like that's my girl right there. And she told me, hey, I'm on the beach and I'm on in a drop top car with the cell phone. And I'm just like, wow, back then no one had cell phones. That was like a, something that I, wow, this big cell phones. And I flew out to Hawaii and I'll never forget looking through the window peeking in, looking at the ocean, how blue and tropical it was. It was amazing. And I was like, I can't wait to land. And I saw Hawaii and I was like, wow, this is amazing. We landed, we got off the airplane. The ladies walked up to us and said, aloha, and put beautiful flowers around our necks. And man, I was mesmerized by the Hawaiian culture. I couldn't believe it. And my girlfriend said, hey, you know what? You don't have to see white guys or any other. It's the only guys I'm seeing right now to make money off of our Japanese men. And over the phone, I didn't really understand what she was doing completely. She was like, look, you don't have to have sex. You can just get the money. It's really easy. It's easier than you think. And so the first night, I had my fake ID. Fallon York was my name. Annie Lobert was gone. Like she was disassociated, gone from the picture, gone, sunk deep into my psyche because now I was Fallon. Fallon was the girl that was gonna sell herself. And that night I turned my first date, and they call it in the industry, trick. I, along with my girlfriend, walked into a hotel room with these two Japanese men and got the money, got our $500, 
took my clothes off, didn't have to do anything. Got dressed, walked back out. And I looked at my girlfriend, that was easier than I thought. She goes, I told you. And that was my introductory to the sex industry. There was no pimp around me. My girlfriend, her boyfriend, hey, he was a pimp, wasn't really discovered yet. He was being nice to her right now. This was like the grooming phase, telling her he loved her, buying her everything she wanted, handed her car keys to the Mercedes, to the drop-top Corvette. And then there's me like, I'll never have a pimp. Uh-uh, I will never pay a man. I will never, this is my money, no. And that was my attitude towards that. And I really believe that with all my heart. I would never have a pimp. I would never be trafficked. There were no words for trafficking back then. It was called pimping and pandering. This is in the 80s, you guys. I go way back. Now, when I come back, I'm going to tell you how deep and how slippery that slope was for me and how I walked into that lifestyle thinking, oh, I can leave anytime I want. Oh, it's only going to be three months. Oh, it's only going to be six weeks. No, 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 no. Try 10 years, 11 years straight, and then 16 years lost in the hurricane of sex trafficking. I'll be right back. If you're enjoying today, I have something special to share with you. I don't get to share every single detail of my story, but this book, Fallen Out of the Sex Industry and Into the Arms of the Savior, will tell you my total and real and heartfelt transformation for the power of God's love and what His redemptive blood can do to a girl like me. This is so valuable, and I'm going to tell you why, because this book will teach you and warn you or whoever else reads it about the dangers of the grooming process for sex trafficking and the Romeo pimp turned into the gorilla pimp sex trafficker. I cannot tell you how many reviews I've read on this or friends that have read this that have told me, man, when I put your book, I started reading it, I couldn't put it down and it changed my life. I will never look at the sex industry stripping the brothels, the massage parlors, the foot massage parlors, any of that type of sex industry, the call girls, ever the same again because your book educated me and showed me what the signs are and what to look out for. And I think my friend's being groomed right now. I think my neighbor's daughter might have a pimp as a boyfriend. Yes, this book will educate you. You guys can go to hookersforjesus.net and click on the book. It'll take you to Amazon and you can buy it and purchase it. And it's in Spanish and it's also in audio. So go ahead and do that today and get them before they're sold out. Hi, I'm Manny LeBaron. and welcome back to The Pink Chair. Let's finish our story. My story of coming to Las Vegas. So I left Hawaii. I was in Hawaii my first two weeks selling myself without a pimp. Yes, I chose it in the beginning. Most ladies do. Do you know that 95% of sex industry workers have been sexually abused? Do you know that it's more than I believe, there's not a real stat on this yet, but it's, it's more than 90, 95% women that are getting sold are being sex 
traffic. There's someone controlling them like a puppet. So I digress. Let's go back to Minneapolis. That's where I flew back to. Quit all three of my jobs. I had a promising career. I had already gotten promoted once in my company. My supervisor was so proud of me. She's like, you're the smartest girl here. I'm going to take you to life accounting now. You're going upstairs. About to get promoted. I walked into her office. Hey, Judy, I quit. She's like, why? I said, two weeks notice, I quit. She had no idea, but I joined escort services in Minneapolis. I worked for a man named Bruce and a lady named Maggie, not realizing they're a pimp and a madam team, not realizing, oh, wow, you know, they could be working and selling me. But I signed up for their escort service, and I decided I'm going to work and get my money for college, quit all my jobs and save it, and I can get a nice car, a nice house, and everything else like that. See, the sex industry, trafficking draws you in with the money. It's the grooming process, the grooming process of the desire, of the glamour, of quick money, quick money for college, quick money for a car, quick money for jewelry, quick money to take care of your parents, quick money to take care of your children. Whatever vulnerability that you have, you're susceptible to that. And it drew me in, and I started dancing actually at the strip clubs to get clients. I should say buyers, because that's what they were. There's no decent word for someone that purchases someone for sex. They're a buyer. They're a trick. They're a mark. And I was dancing one day, and this man walked in. He was pretty gorgeous. I thought so anyway. I had no idea, but he was a trafficker. And he dined me and whined me and told me I was beautiful and smart and bought me roses and spun me around dancing, sang in my ear. Totally mesmerized my life. I really believed he loved me. This is called the grooming process. I said, you know what, I have a secret. These men are all dumb. <laughs> They're paying me for their time. They're so dumb. He's like, oh gosh, you're really smart. You're, you know how to hustle. I was like, yeah, hmm. I, I, I'm not a prostitute, I'm a call girl. No. Yeah, we're all the same. We're all the same. We're selling ourselves. And so I had the big bright idea to come to Las Vegas, Nevada. Because my girlfriend, the one I had met at the clubs, the one that I had become BFFs with, the one that went to Hawaii, her trafficker had a house here. Her pimp had a house here. And she told me, hey, there's a lot, a lot of money here. I mean, it is booming here. It's better than Hawaii. Girl, you've got to check out Vegas. And I was like, I'm in. So I booked those tickets, closed up my apartment, thought everything was safe. And I didn't know it at the time, but my trafficker actually had gotten arrested for attempted murder against his bottom girl at one of the saunas that she worked at. I had no idea. I did not know his record. I did not know who he was, but I loved him. That's what I knew. He wined and dined me and romanced me. Got to Las Vegas the first night I signed up for the escort service. I'll never forget. I worked for Desert Foxes. Went on a Funny, right? Desert Foxes. My la one of my last names now is Fox because <laughs> I'm married. So I worked for Desert Foxes that night, went on a couple calls, went to the Golden Nugget, got a bunch of money, came home. I walked in, my girlfriend said, ooh, Fallon made money. Yes, I was working by the name Fallon, like my book, Fallon. And he told me to break myself. And I was like, what? What do you mean break, break myself? What are you talking about? I'm not giving you all my money. Break yourselves in pimp, pimp culture language means, basically, pimp culture language is give me all your money and don't hold back. Break yourself of everything you have. 
And I said, I'm not doing it. And he proceeded to drag me out by the back of the house, in the back of the porch, and beat me to a pulp, shove my face in dog feces, yell obscenities at me, tell me I'm working for him now. This is pimping, B. I don't know if you know what time it is, but it's right now you're being pimped. And that was it. That was my first night being legally sex trafficked, according to him, because in the pimp game, that's what they do. But against our law, it was pimping and pandering. And I was stuck in that lifestyle with two different sex traffickers for almost 11 years working for the escort services on the Las Vegas Strip in the high-class casinos. You see women walking back in, in and out of those beautiful hotels and they're dressed a certain kind of way. They're by themselves. Sometimes they're with a client, a buyer. You have no idea that they're being sex trafficked. They have a pimp at home, a trafficker at home. You guys, you know what? By the grace of God, I got out of that lifestyle. The rest of my story is right here. If you want to know everything that happened, the nitty-gritty details, this book will read like a blockbuster movie. I'm serious. You won't be able to put it down. It is a page turner. And just to save you like the ending, obviously I'm here and obviously I've made it. And what happened to me on August 2nd, 2003 was miraculous. At that point in my life, I had gotten on cocaine very heavy and pills and I didn't want to live anymore. There is so much shame and devastation and pain and complex trauma that comes with this lifestyle that at the very end of everything, I was basically homeless. I had lost my car. I was living from motel to motel. I had nowhere to go. Just desperate for a change, desperate to have my life turn around. And yes, that night I OD'd, I overdosed on cocaine and I cried out. And the only thing that I had left in my pocket was the name of Jesus. And I said, Jesus, Jesus, save me. Please don't let me die. I knew I was dying. I was having a heart attack. And that night, you know, God showed up in the midst of the darkest hour of my life. And that night I went to the hospital and God saved my life. He saved me from the clutches of the devil, from all his minions and demons. And you know what? That was the first night of the very start of my life filled with joy, freedom, and hope. Thank you. I don't get to share every single detail of my story, but this book, Fallen Out of the Sex Industry and Into the Arms of the Savior, will tell you my total and real and heartfelt transformation by the power of God's love and what his redemptive blood can do to a girl like me. This is so valuable, and I'm going to tell you why, because this book will teach you and warn you or whoever else reads it about the dangers of the grueling process for sex trafficking. Yes, this book will educate you. You guys can go 
to hookersforjesus.net and click on the book. It'll take you to Amazon and you can buy it and purchase it. And it's in Spanish and it's also an audio. So go ahead and do that today and get them before they're sold out.